three, two, one. Welcome to Matt Gaines Live. Here we are another Friday afternoon. It is time to stop working that spot market. No one gives a shit anymore. It's time to get a drink. It's time to stop working and learn more about one of my favorite people in the whole world is Bart from P44. I'm so excited to have you with us. I have wanted you in this hot seat for a long time now. And here we are at One Rails location in Orlando, and we are enjoying a wonderful drink. You were enjoying. Don't be fooled by his no, water. No, no. People fooled. know I don't drink. We've got a One Rail. First <laughs> lie of the evening. One Rail. First lie. That was a dead lie, by the way. Yes. Um, he likes very good wine. I know that. Yeah, and I thought people liked me because of what I knew about supply chain, and then, and then I found like, out it was more, more about, about yes, the wine, the wine. It's a good conversation starter, but you have to pick the right wine. And, and it's very personal wine, you know? How so? Well, because everyone has different tastes, right? So it's about a little bit like in business. You have to listen to people, kind of understand what is it they really like, and then get something they don't like. Never go for what you like and hope they like it. That's so interesting. I was just talking about that with somebody. A friend bought me a shirt, and it was something I would never wear. It wasn't even me at all. It just didn't make any sense. And I was so confused <laughs> why she did that. And I was talking about, you know, how we often buy things for other people. We do things for other people mm -hmm. um, that we like and that we, we think about ourselves instead of thinking, all right, what does Bart like and how does Bart want to drink? So, so when you're ordering wine for somebody and let's say you got a group of people and they're all your close friends mm -hmm. and are you ordering different wines for everybody? And does a does wine tell you about their personality? I think that would like am make I shallow? Go a little bit far. If no, because I, I people, drink like a no, I don't think it necessarily. Blah blah. Well, Sunday. I will say the one thing that's different is you have people that only drink a few wines because that's what they know. So it's like how much are they willing to take a risk? Yeah. Um, or how broad are they in their tasting? Right. So that that's a little bit different. But no, it doesn't really say anything about you know personality it's not because you're drink a cab versus on malbec white or rosé that you're a different person right and to me it's like i don't really care what you drink whether it's a five dollar bottle of wine five hundred dollar bottle of wine what it is it's what is it that you like right and i'm one of these people i've always been like that luckily i know what i like yeah i don't have to take a lot of time to figuring that out the hardest part for me is people that don't really know what they like and you have to go back and forth and they go like, oh, I don't know about this one. How do you like this? Oh, I don't know. Mm. So I make up your mind. You like what you like. You don't like what you don't like. There's nothing wrong with that. I like that. I think that's why I like you because you won't. If I'm like, Bart, I'm just going to have two buck chuck tonight. And hey, got to drink what you love drinking, right? Yeah. It's like, I wish I could do it. You know how much money I would save on a yearly <laughs> basis? It's like, I don't even want to think about it. But um, yeah, it's good wine and, and, and good wine. You know what? The rule about good wine is one rule. What is it? You drink good wine with good friends. Oh, that Makes was it smooth. taste so that much better. And smooth. I know with the friends of One Rail, I've had a couple of good bottles of wine over the years. <laughs> and it, it is true. Like you can have good wine and you can have it at home. You're sitting on your own on a Friday evening late, maybe being frustrated about work. That wine is not going to taste that good. But maybe you have a less lesser bottle of wine. You drink that with good friends. And oh, my Lord, that will be the best bottle of wine yeah, you've ever had. right, actually. I like that. So you are living in Dallas, Texas. Correct. But... You are, I don't hear a Texas accent. 
What is that accent that I, I hear? I never it's heard lovely. that. No one ever said that before. Oh, really? I was uh -huh. a real Texan. The first no, time. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> so first of all, the complication is that I'm originally from Antwerp, Belgium. So I was born there uh, and raised. I went to school there. So uh, not Cornell, but Catholic University of Leuven. Although no one knows that, but when I tell people Leuven is where they make the Stella Artois, everyone's going uh, yes! Stella. Okay. <laughs> so people know that it's the second oldest Catholic university uh, in the world. Um, and then I started working in Belgium, started working in the Benelux, rest of Europe. Uh, and then at one point, I had gone to Australia for a few times, fell in love with the country, moved over there for a year, thinking I was going to start my career there and start traveling and finding a place to call home. And before I knew it, my visa, one-year visa was up, thrown out of the country, back to Europe. And not long after, I started a company with a couple of folks over in England. So... The complication with that is the part of the story is, so now I go from Belgium to Australia, and you know their English accent, right? It's just like Texas. Oh, yeah, just like uh, But then with the kangaroos. And then I go over to England, which is just like Australia, right? <laughs> uh, or they call the pommies, right? Prisoners of Her Majesty, right? So it's not necessarily the best English. And so then in 2003, I married a, a lady from Texas, we have kids and we move over to Texas. And now I go to my third country where they speak English. Uh, and again, a completely different accent. So you he obviously hear the Belgian behind it, but then it's also a mixture of Australian, English, Texas, and whatever I it is. Love and it. if you find me late at night, maybe at the bar talking to someone, if you might be English or might be Scottish, you will literally hear my accent changing. It's something you do unconsciously. You stop. Kind of you, you basically just start copying people, and that's not yes. something you do on purpose. Mm -hmm. That just happens. And for me, English is my fourth language. Uh, although I will tell people when they say fourth language, it's not quite true because it's my fourth language because in Belgium you grow up learning my native tongue, which is Dutch or Flemish, what we call it, then French, then German, and then English. But I will say I've been in English-speaking jobs and, and living in English-speaking uh, countries long enough that... I dream in English. So ah, for uh, in a, in a big language. way, it really is my first language. Mm -hmm. But obviously, I still carry that. That would make everybody in Texas happy. I feel like you had to say that, being in Texas. A little dig on Texas, yes. So yeah. as a New Yorker, we often do the same. Like in New York, you have so many different segments of different people. You have to kind of tailor your accent, your way of communicating to mm -hmm. whomever you're speaking with. So I can relate to that completely. Um, and for those of you, we don't have enough time today, but... And I wish we did. Um, if you meet Bart, which I really hope you do, I hope you ask him how he met his wife and tell him the story of marrying his wife, too. It is an amazing story. You will love and you will not forget. And it'll make you laugh, too. All right. So, yes, Bart, you told me that one night. So I know the story. Know. Look at your face. He's like, oh, God, what did I tell her? But um, I It's think always it's the same cool story, story, though. It's one thing. <laughs> so you know. You're like, oh, I know. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's turn to P44. And one rail, and um, and how did you guys start? Like, wait, I have the most basic question. These final mile drivers, do they actually opt into visibility? Like, we can't get full truckload drivers mm -hmm. to do it. Can you? Yeah? yeah. Well, it's a little bit different, right? Because if if you have one person driving a car, it's easy to give them an app, and and having to track them on an app that's typically kind of provided by the tech vendor. And, and we say the same thing about full truckload. We got one dude driving a truck. We can't figure out how the fuck could get him to opt into anything. These yeah, days. but the problem but, is that that one truck driver he drives for you one time. 
right? Mm -hmm. And the other 364 days, he drives for someone else. Maybe. And everyone's got their own app, right? Uh, Whether it's a visibility app, they have an app for Uber, for Convoy. And so there's app fatigue. They don't want to use app, right? And you know, uh, we've met some people like in Chattanooga, Textlocate, Mm -hmm. they do GPS pings on your phone. Mm -hmm. So much easier, right? Yeah. And I wish we could say it's as easy as giving people an app, but do they really want to use the app? Because what's in it for the driver? Because that's a different, right? Like Project 44, we deal with a lot of carriers, but you deal with the carriers. When you have the mom and pops, you don't deal with a, a carrier or a back office. You're actually dealing with the driver. And that driver is also the accountant. He's the salesperson. He's everything for that company. Mm-hmm. So you have to do it in a different way and make it easier. And that's why for us, it's also important to partner with other companies, right? And say, hey, maybe you got a good way of communicating with that part of the driver community and i think in last mile i think they have a much better grasp on those smaller drivers in how to communicate but also providing them the tools they have to go and and execute their business whether it's through helping them route correctly and routing them safely like what ups started doing with only right turns which we know uh brings the the risk of having accidents down quite quite significantly by providing them also with navigation, things like that. Because you got to imagine, right, in the last mile space over the last few years, millions of drivers have come into that industry. They're not professional drivers. There were people that maybe two, three years ago were back in the kitchen of a restaurant or yeah. serving, and all of a sudden they become now professional drivers. So how do you give them the tools to do their, do their job, do it well, but also give them information at their fingertips and keep them safe? When you partner with all these different companies, what does that look like? Like, are you actually, are you actually providing these companies with the tools to opt into visibility, or are you taking their visibility d- data and bringing it into into your software and using it? It can be different things, right? It always starts with more of what we call go-to-market partnerships, where we kind of say, how do we together make the story better? We call it better together. Um, how do you go to a customer? And I think it's a big difference when you can go with multiple leaders in what they are. I think we believe Project 44, we're a leader in visibility. One Rail's a, v- a leader in last mile. When you go to a customer together, it creates that trust and credibility mm-hmm. by partnering up. Then the second part is how do the solutions together make more sense? And that might be a little different depending on the company you work for. But although uh, One Rail does a lot of last mile, they might have some middle mile or LTL volume where they need visibility. So where's the data maybe they don't have in-house that we can provide? Or where do they have capabilities that our customers need that we don't have? Like we have a last mile solution, but it's all about pre and post customer experience. This was through the Convey acquisition, but we don't do things like routing. We don't have a marketplace with over 10 million drivers. So a lot of these solutions are very, very complementary. So how do you easily bring that added capability of the partner to the customer and through that, make that technology and make the solutions what I call more consumable, meaning you connect once and through the integration with the partner, you can have the best of literally the best of both worlds. And you do that with multiple uh, companies. And that really helps with the adoption of technology overall, because it's not always about having the best technology, but also how do you provide a solution to a customer that makes it easy to use, easy to implement, easy to use, easy to support. And the more you can lower that threshold of making them more consumable, I think the more successful you are. Are you are you building out the integration plans based on the customer's needs? Or are you actually building it out depending on like one rail, for example? Like we've integrated one rail, 
and we do these five things for their application or they do these five things for us? Or is it more customer-based? No, I'd, I'd say it's more in a, in a kind of a standard way, right? Because what you want to do is you want to kind of build something that's a core application mm -hmm. and then just replicate over customer and customer and customer. I think we should go away from customized solution in any case. That used to be kind of so 20 years ago, so 10 years ago. Now it's about rapid adoption, uh, rapid implementation, rapid adoption. I would say most companies, if you want to customize, there's something going on. Um, and the customer doesn't really know what it is they want. So it's better for a provider to say, this is really the process that we see working best. That's what the technology is built up upon. And then have that customer adjust to that process rather than customizing. I think in the world today, especially with SaaS solutions, cloud-based solutions, customization can be the death of any type yes. of, of solution. Couldn't agree more. Uh, last question for you, which is kind of like, can of worms, but I know that I follow Project 44 closely. I love your CEO, of course, and I love you. Yeah. Um, and I, I know you guys are venturing out into all different types of modes. What mode do you guys think you guys are most disruptive in when it comes to visibility? Well, the thing is, um, visibility really isn't that disruptive, right? I think there's a lot of things that could be disruptive. Visibility is one of those things that's always been needed mm -hmm. that we now are fulfilling the gap that has existed oh, in smooth, a long Bart. time. So, <laughs> you know, and, and again, I've been in technology for a long time. People always go like, well, what is the new tech out there? What, what causes disruption? We're so far behind in transportation. We really don't need yeah. disruption. We actually want the opposite of it. Yeah. We want something that helps us fight external disruptions yeah. but makes our life a lot easier awesome. uh, where if you even mentioned where technology of disruption people immediately nowadays think of like wow that's going to be huge change management it's going to be huge implementation uh, but what we see obviously is continuing because of all the disruptions in the industry ocean so ocean visibility is still way out there and for example in last mile we have a lot of last mile customers but it's not we don't focus necessarily visibility in the last mile the retailers, they actually want their first mile, the ocean, the inbound, with all the sense. issues around inventory. Mm -hmm. That's what they want to track. So we're tracking, you know, for like Amazon, hundreds of thousands of containers coming inbound. Same for a lot of other retailers. Um, full truckloads, still the same because it is so up and down, right? And it is such a big void. So we're doing that. I think that the next part that, again, I would say fills a big gap, but that companies in many instances, aren't ready for it to deal with, but want, or maybe they don't have the budget for it, is sustainability. Yep. So that's a big next step. And uh, last year, we got investment also from Generation IM. Obviously, Al Gore's company focused on sustainability solutions. It is going to be very important because I think the way you position yourself, and again, going to last mile retailers, your consumers are going to be much more concerned. They already are, not just about how you manufacture a product, how you manufacture consumable and sustainable packaging, but then also how do you deliver it sustainably? And so we're seeing that coming up a lot more. I think this year Gartner saw it for the first time ever as part of the top 10 um, uh, kind of key priorities of CEOs and scope three emissions, by the way, biggest contributor to overall greenhouse gas emissions. There's a lot we need to do as, a, as industries, as countries, um, so that's a big opportunity. But again, reality is not a lot of companies have budgets to do it. Mm -hmm. So we need to start. But again, the secret is how do we tie it to visibility? It's the same source of data. We're just pulling additional data. 
and how do we make that consumable so it's easier for companies to understand. And then again, working with the, the whole ecosystem landscape to say, we have the data, we pass it off to a TMS, to a final mile solution provider, and they can then make in their system the right decision, not just about the rate and the quality of, of the transportation, but also around what's the most sustainable way of getting the product there. Uh, for those of you who are like, sustainability, Bart, whatever, you should spend more time in Texas, less in Europe. No, he, you, no, you better listen, because I've been hearing it more and more and more. He's right. He's telling you a trend that is going on that you will be hearing soon, so don't get caught um, falling asleep at the wheel when it comes to what your customers are looking for and sustainability. That's a very important point, and Bart, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being my friend. And thank you also for introducing me to these wonderful people at OneRail. They are absolutely amazing. So for anybody who doesn't know OneRail or Bart from P44, make sure you follow them on LinkedIn. And we will see you all next Freight Friday. Oh.